We've had several weeks of introduction, and so now we're really getting into the actual Ten Commandments, and we're looking at the very first one, and it starts out with a proclamation. When it says in Exodus 22, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord thy God. It's a statement of the reality of Yahweh. You know, for centuries, science, scientists and philosophers have tried to establish the existence of God. You know, but nowhere does the Bible make any attempt to prove Yahweh's existence. Uh, the Bible simply asserts his existence. In Genesis, the very first chapter, in the very first verse, it just begins out by saying, in the beginning, God. And so how is God's existence known so emphatically without this concrete proof? Well, we see, for, for instance, the witness here of creation. Uh, in Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Romans 1.20 for, uh, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So in other words, you can see the invisible God by looking at the visible creation. Now everything you see bears the stamp that says, made by God. And all this is the true whether you're looking with your eyes through a telescope or through a microscope. You know, uh, with a microscope, uh, you can look at a single cell, the smallest unit of living matter. Uh, one single living cell is more complicated than New York City. You know, imagine millions of, of people running to and fro, fro and all the uh, network cable, uh, uh, the lights, the cats, the rats, etc. cetera. Uh, it's a complicated place, New York City. But the cell is more intricate. Uh, how can anyone look at that and say that that happened by accident? And with a telescope, you can uh, look at the vast universe where light travels at 186,000 miles per second, probably faster than that as you go deeper into space. The space shuttle moves up to 17,000 miles per hour but that's less than five miles per second. Light makes it from Earth to the moon in two seconds. And then in a matter of minutes, it passes the inner planets, and in a couple hours, it's out of our solar system. But how long does it take to get to the closest, uh, from the closest star to us? Well, it takes four years at that speed. Uh, but that's just one of billions of stars in our galaxy which is one of billions of known galaxies. Now, should we believe that this just happened out there all on its own? No. I look at my watch here and say that there must have been a designer and a maker for this watch. You know? I look at a house and I say there must have been a designer and a maker for that house. Uh, I look at my own eye. We were discussing our eyes re uh, just a few minutes ago with uh, a couple of us. And I look at my own eyes and I wonder in amazement at what my eye can do and which they're trying, of course, they spent a long time trying to get cameras to duplicate the human eye. 
And they can do wonderful things today, but they're still not the human eye. It's a marvelous thing. Evolutionists say that uh, just give nature enough time and it will come up with all these amazing things. They say if you blindfold uh, a room full of monkeys and you give them a computer and enough time, one of them will eventually type out a Shakespeare, Shakespeare quality play. And yet, that would be a small miracle compared to the creation of one living cell by chance. Now, we see also then the witness of conscience. Uh, go back as far as you want in human history, and you'll see that mankind has always had this need to worship. There there's, uh, has never been a people group anywhere in the world, whether it's from the dark jungles of Africa, Africa for, or to the uh, frozen tundra that has not engaged in some kind of worship. Uh, they may not have been worshiping the true and living God, but they were worshiping something. And why? Because man has a built-in need to worship. It's a universal hunger that has been placed there by God. Every universal hunger, and there are many, has a universal fulfillment. For instance, uh, this, this hunger for food. You know, God has placed on earth then milk and grain and fruit and vegetables and, and meat and chocolate to satisfy that hunger. You know, uh, water. You know, God gives us rivers and streams uh, so that we can drink. Companionship. You know, God gives us uh, others to uh, interact with. Uh, oil. You know, God gave plenty of this. Just ask the people down the Gulf. You know? So why does man have this innate need to worship? Because God has written it on the wall of every human heart that there is a God. Psalm 53, and one says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. In order to believe that there is no God, you have to suppress, you have to suppress your natural instinct, and that's a foolish thing to do. You know, I wonder how many of you here who uh, know someone who claims to be a, uh, an atheist, you know, someone who cla claims that they believe in nothing. Well, it's not true. For even an atheist worships something. No, uh, they find something to replace God with. Uh, they might become radical environmentalists or um, everyone wants to have some cause that they're behind. And, and these today, they, they want to say that, uh, no, we're, that the ones that say that we're killing the planet oftentimes are busy worshiping the planet. And they're doing what Paul said they would do in Romans, that they'd worship the creation rather than the creator. Some of them uh, stare into crystals and some read their horoscopes. Uh, they want some kind of direction in their life as well. And though, and though they don't want it to be God, they still find that they have a need for something. And maybe a, a movie star or a rock star or a sports star because they rejected the bright and morning star. The real problem is not in their head, it's in their heart. The fool has said in his heart. The problem is not with their intellect. 
but it's with their heart. It's a moral problem. It's not God they don't like as much as having to be accountable to God. The words there is uh, in this verse are in italics in that verse in that verse because they're not in the actual text. And the atheist addresses God directly, and he really says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. He is saying as if he is looking to God and saying, no God. When you wave off the waitress at the end of your meal saying no dessert, and I hear some people do that foolish thing, but if you wave the waitress off at the end of your meal and say no dessert, you're not uh, denying the existence of the dessert. You're just saying no to uh, having it yourself. You know, atheism is a religion, but it has never dispelled fear from a troubled heart. It has never dried the tears of a broken heart. It has never given peace to a tormented heart. And so we have the proclamation by creation and by conscience and a prohibition. Verses 2 and 3 where it says to us, I am the Lord thy God which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other God. No rival. He's a jealous God. Now they, they promise not to, but Israel worship other gods after this. In fact, the calf at the base of the mountain. And later they worshiped, of course, the false gods of the Canaanites, like Baal Peor and the god of corruption, and Baal Zebra, which was the god of the flies, and Moloch, which is the god of fire. And they offered their children as living sacrifices. And we look at this and say, this is so wicked and, and, and pagan and awful. Why do you suppose other people would want to have gods in their lives? But do you, do you think that perhaps we have uh, put gods into our lives also? When he says no other gods, he means no other gods. But I wonder how many other gods we really have placed there. Consider with me the, the, the gods of the pagans and let's compare it with the people today. One of the gods of the pagans uh, was Bacchus, which was the god of wine and revelry. And tens of millions of Americans are slaves to alcohol, outnumbering the addicts of any other type of drug. And those who drink bow at this older. And some say, I'm not addicted, I'm not an alcoholic, you know, I only drink now and, and then in moderation. But you still worship the same God, you're just not as faithful to it as others are. And to those who are looking for happiness, of course, in the bottle, let me say there is no joy like the joy of knowing Jesus, and there is no high like knowing the most high. The second God of the ancients was the God of, uh, of mammon, the God of money. And how's that for a description of America today? Marriages are being sacrificed on the altar as our morality and ethics children are being sacrificed here as well, we ruin our health in pursuit of money and then spend all of our money trying to get back our health. Tell me we aren't people that are messed up in our society today. For many Americans, their God is money and the bank is their holy temple. Colossians. 
3.5 here says, Mortify covetousness, which is idolatry. This is a, the mother of many sins. Some are, some are killed because somebody wanted something that they had. Some commit adultery because of covetousness. Stealing begins here. Lies are told daily in the, na in the names of business as we bow to the God of Mammon. Another god of the, uh, the ancients was Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. Uh, she is not the god of love, but she is of lust. Uh, guys are hormone hurricanes, and there's no worse climate than the days in which we live with the advertising and the TV commercials and the internet and the magazines. Uh, guys need to get their eyes under control and not bow down to the goddess of sex. Girls need to be aware of this. And when some guy says, here, baby, I love you, and I got this urge to merge, and if you love me, you will, you need to slap that guy so hard his brains ring like church bells on a cold morning. You know, sorry, man, I serve one God, and you're not him. Now, another god of paganism is Minerva, which was the god of intellectualism. America has become the home of intellectual idolaters. We think we're smarter than God today. Scientists, and I use that term very loosely, have more degrees than a thermometer. Ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, they're puffed up and they're too proud to bow. You can show the intellectual today, even in, in the church world, verses that deal specifically with sins in this world and looking at it, they'll say, well, I see it differently. They think that, that they know better. Uh, and they'll do all kinds of mental gymnastics trying to come up with other explanations than the plain sense of Scripture. It's idolatry to do so. So tell me, is America guilty of idolatry? Yes. And I'm afraid many people in many churches are well. It's a proclamation of prohibition and then there is a plea in verse 2 here. It says, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord thy God. He's not just a God or even the God. He's my God. How personal. You know, to think that the God of this vast universe knows me. You know, this last week was what? It was an election week. You got to go to the polls, cast your vote. I went in there and I voted for a lot of people who do not know me. Of course, I tried to vote against a lot of people who didn't know me either. But I went in there and, there, and I could go down the list and there, were, there was probably only one person that I voted for that knew me, yet I voted for them. And I expect them to carry out my desires and my wishes uh, in whatever area that I had voted for them. I think I voted for a bunch of losers, by the way. I'm not sure. But nevertheless, when I vote, I'm voting for somebody I hope will carry out my desires and wishes. But you know, one higher than any person that we elected in that voting booth knows you personally, knows your needs, and he wants to know you more, and 
He wants you to come in harmony with him. So how do we respond to, to God's plea? We do it first by submissively. Matthew eleven twenty five says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. It's not by our own wisdom that we come and we bow before him. It's because we become submissive to him. It's not those with a high IQ that God gives the advantage to. It's to those who are humble. And when we do that, the whole playing field becomes level. We need to do it sincerely, submissively, and then sincerely. Seek the kingdom of God with all your heart. Some will go away from church empty because they didn't come for something. You know, they sleep or they tune out. They aren't hungry and so they don't eat. We must thirst for him. Like a tongue that is swollen in a vast desert. That's the person that God really satisfies. And so submissively, Sincerely, that men scripture. God has revealed himself in the Bible. And we can come face to face with him when we're reading it. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. To get to the one and only God, Jesus is the way. Without Jesus, there's no going. You know, Jesus is the truth. And without Jesus, there's no knowing. Jesus is the life. Without Jesus, there's no living. He says, I am the Lord. I am the one and only. Worship Jesus.